Welcome to episode 39 of That Classical Podcast. This time, Brass. Hello. Hello. My name's Chris Bland. And my name's Kelly Harlock. You're listening to episode 39 of That Classical Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking all about brass instruments. Carrying on with our little series of talking about various instruments all around the orchestra, we're taking a little stroll over to Brass Town today. So the main difference between brass and woodwind, they're the two families in the orchestra where you blow into one end and sound comes out the other end. But the main difference comes in the sound production. Do you remember, Kelly, from our episode about woodwind? <laughs> what What is the sound production method for woodwind? It's splitting over a reed. Exactly. You no, blow a jet of air and it gets split over a reed or a mouthpiece and then it goes toot toot out of the other end. Toot toot. Now with brass, you've got a sort of a round mouthpiece where all the air goes into that mouthpiece, but you're effectively blowing a raspberry into it. And it's like a really specific raspberry. Like I watch videos about it <laughs> okay. and the, the guys are like, just pretend you're spitting out a seed. A like seed. a, like... <laughs> No, it's like really like a dainty one. Like, no, I'm screwing that up. Doesn't sound but like dainty. honestly, it's fascinating. I had no idea. It's great. And can't you get like different shaped mouthpieces? As oh well? yes, you can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So most of them are circular, dome shaped ones. But then uh, French horns usually are a bit longer. Right. Okay. But anyway, so you blow this sort of delicate raspberry right. into nice. one end of it, and. The air goes round, loads and loads of piping and tubes comes out the other end. So the origin of brass instruments, they're actually really, really old. So included, it doesn't have to necessarily be made of brass the metal to be considered a brass instrument. Ooh. So included in brass are things like a shofar, which is a ram's horn, a conch, <gasps> like when you blow on a seashell. I have the conch. Um, I've got the conch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a vuvuzela, that's also technically a brass instrument. <laughs> nice. And so the way that brass instruments started off were by what's called natural instruments. So they were just one pipe, no valves, no keys, no slides, no nothing. Got it. And the way you changed the note was by changing your mouth shape, or the fancy word for that is your embouchure. Get out. And that would <laughs> alter the pitch that's coming out the other end. So these pitches follow something called the harmonic series, and long story short, it means that the notes are very far apart, lower in your range. And the higher you get up into your range, the more notes you have available to you, the more chromatic the notes become. Hmm. So this was all well and good for a while. But then brass players were like, well, what if I want to play in a different key? Or what if I want right. more notes available to me? Yeah. So that's when technology came in and introduced two different kinds of ways of changing the the shape of the instrument you're playing basically mm -hmm. so the most common one is with valves so think in your mind's eye trumpet mm -hmm. tooty bit at one end noisy bit at the other end yeah then there's like three buttons in the middle yeah right and so you press these down and what that does it sends the air that you're blowing down a different length of pipe basically so it means that you're in a different harmonic series What's an harmonic series? Well, I just explained. It's the where they're further <laughs> apart at the bottom, closer at the top. Okay. Basically, it's just a way of moving the air around the various pipes and coils of the instrument in a different way. Got it. Slightly differently to woodwind. Okay. So those are valves. And then you've got slided instruments, so like trombones, which do the same thing. They lengthen and shorten the Le pipes, yeah. Le pipes. Mm -hmm. So your main orchestral brass instruments, we've got trumpet, we've yes. got trombone, yes. we've got horn, yes. we've got tuba. Got it. Within those, there's a million different variants. Not literally a million, that would be absurd. Probably about seven. <laughs> 
However, the first one we're going to be talking about today is the youngest member of the family and also the beefiest, the meatiest, the lowest. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's right. We're going to be talking about other tuba. Just the tonk child of the family, which is a weird image. But yeah, <laughs> like those really tiny Russian bodybuilders who are like eight years old. Have you seen them? Really weird. Sorry, no offence to them. If, if they're listening. No offence to all those eight-year-old bodybuilders who listen to our podcast. <laughs> Sorry, the tuba, tell me more. So the tuba, or the muscular toddler, as we're going to refer <laughs> to it. That's who he is. Is, you know, to put it kindly, a utility instrument, you know? It's Rude. there, it's in the background usually. By the washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It provides the low end to an orchestral sound. It's got oomph, it's got weight, mm-hmm. but you rarely hear it playing a tune because it's oh, so low. Okay. I mean, right. is that fair? Got it. Um, so, as I said, it's one of the lowest instruments in the orchestra. It goes just as low as a double bass or as a contra bassoon. That's pretty much that's the lowest pretty, sound you're going to get. It's pretty low. It's very yeah, low. not bad. Uh, so they can come in different lengths, but a tuba, if you sort of unroll it all the way, all the bits that bend back on itself, right. is usually like at least about 20 foot long. So about twice as long as a trombone oh, when it's yeah. fully folded out. Yeah, they're, they're pretty... That's a lot. <laughs> serious yeah. bits of kit. Mm-hmm. They are not easy to carry around. Right, okay. And so the context in which you usually hear a tuba is when... You want, yeah, this extra deep end to an orchestral or symphonic sound. Uh, they're often used for humorous music, if you think of... Like or- farty... Farty music, music, yes. For any elephants. Bomb, or- de bomb, de bomb, de bomb. Like, th- that right? Exactly that. that. is right, yeah, okay, yeah. got it. However... <laughs> Sometimes they are given their moment in the spotlight, their time to shine. And that's exactly what's going to happen in the first piece we're going to talk about today. So our old buddy Rafe, Rafe Vaughan Williams. In 1954, the London Symphony Orchestra was celebrating their 50th anniversary. And they were like, hey, buddy, hey, Vaughan Williams, do you want to write us a piece? And by this point, he was quite an old guy. And he was like, yes, I will. It's going to be a tuba concerto. (laughs) That's the great thing about being old. It's like you just do whatever the hell you want and you don't care. Who's going to say no to Vaughan Williams at that point in his career? No one. Amazing. Um, So he was aware himself of how jokes it is like contemporary accounts apparently he was like laughing out loud at the first rehearsal that they had with it he was just like wetting himself love that however (laughs) i think it's a great piece so let's have a listen now to the beautiful melodic concerto possibilities of a tuba ridiculous piece of music I've ever heard. I've actually never heard that before in my life. Have you not? What no. you missed was me bursting into hysterics the second it started playing in this room. Um, Maybe I think, because I've been listening to it so much this week, I'm like desensitised to it being hilarious. So I actually just really like it it's as a really piece now. It's really good. I think it's wonderful, but it's it's so silly. And no wonder he burst out <laughs> laughing in the first rehearsals. The tuba guy sounds like he's, or, or lady, sounds like they're having a, a great time as well. Yeah, well, so. exactly. They don't get a chance to play semi-quavers oh, very often. Do, bah, bah, 
<laughs> have you seen that clip of someone following someone around a supermarket playing a tuba when they walk? <laughs> I'll put that on Twitter for you. Anyway, tell me more about it. Well, yeah, so as as you can imagine, tuba concertos, not particularly <laughs> a wide variety to choose from. They're fairly few <laughs> and far between. There are a handful in the repertoire, maybe like six or seven. Okay. But because they're so few and far between, if you dig a bit on the internet, tubists love talking about this concerto. And so there's actually loads of people like discussing it. And Because nice. a violinist has like endless concertos to talk about and discuss. Whereas for tuba players, you know, it's they're, they're going to hone in <laughs> on what they can do. Yeah. I really like the piece. What can I say? I, I think it's great. It made me smile, and that's uh, that's great. Uh, it also <laughs> led me down a wonderful YouTube rabbit hole of uh, virtuoso tuba players. Yes. And there's this one guy who performs pieces that are not for the tuba originally. So uh, <laughs> there's one of him playing Vivaldi's Winter from the Four Seasons. Oh, my God. You know, the really fast piece. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. Oh on my, the tuba, oh, like, like solo. Is it really instead low? of solo violin, it's solo tuba. Oh um, my god! I mean, he plays all the notes correctly, but I'm not yes. quite sure it's the same sort of wintry <laughs> sound that violin does. Anyway, so I think solo tuba in the right context, banging, absolutely banging. Mm. Uh, and that's the tuba for you. It can be a solo instrument too, guys. Das klassische Podcast. So next, I'm going to talk about the trumpet. Ah. Bring on the trumpet! I'm sorry, does anyone remember this advert from about 10 years ago? For gu- It was like for sweets on British TV. No one remembers this advert. Bring on the trumpet! For about an hour before we started recording today, Kelly's just been going, bring on the trumpet! <laughs> and and I the- don't know the reference, and she <laughs> won't stop doing it. At the very end of the advert, it just goes, ha ha ha, trumpets! Which just was my youth. Anyway, the point <laughs> is, uh, the trumpeter produces sound from buzzing into the mouthpiece just like chris said a bit earlier there are three valves on a trumpet right Mm -hmm. so the little buttons and depending on which one you press the pitch of the note is altered but the valves sort of produce an approximation of the note so the trumpeter has got to use his or her mouth or the slides on a trumpet to make all the fine adjustments there are slides on a trumpet right you've got two slides on a trumpet what And um, so one, you use your left thumb to slide it. And the other one, you use uh, your left ring finger to slide it. Oh, I had no idea. So, yeah, because some of the notes you just have to, you have to change. And also you can do a lot with your mouth as well. With your embouchure. Embouchure. And yeah, trumpet players, again, I read this. I'm not a trumpet player, but (laughs) from the sounds of it, spend their entire careers focusing on getting their tone perfect that buzzing Ooh. trying to get a really pure sound beautiful um, so again like you were saying earlier depending on how fast you buzz and the speed of the airstream mm. coming out of your lips and the position of your tongue as well the note changes and the higher the note the higher the tongue position in your mouth and vice versa so if you imagine whistling a low note then going to a high note <laughs> oh yeah like <laughs> You can hit, you can oh, just that same notice what you're doing in your mouth. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Ah. Um, so basically, long story short, once you think <laughs> about all these combinations of valves, slides, your airstream tongue positions, you can see how many different notes you can actually get yeah. off an instrument that looks pretty simple when you look that's, at it. I think that's right? the thing with all brass. They all look like go toodly tootly. Yeah. But actually all of them. Bring on the really, trumpet. Oh my God, yeah. stop. But also, They're yeah. They're really complex. <laughs> they are. So look, the lesson is over, but the music... Is just beginning. Oh, um, I'd like to talk about a trumpet piece that makes me smile. 
every single time I hear it. And I hear it a lot, so that is sort of saying something. <laughs> okay. um, it's by a, a chap called Johan Nepomuk Hummel. Um, I beg your pardon, what yes. was that middle name? Nepomuk. Great. Great, isn't it? Um, an Austrian composer who you potentially or probably haven't heard of. I must admit I'm not over familiar. Right, but I'll tell you this for free. He was a total boffin and a mega <laughs> child prodigy. Ooh. And back in the 1780s, I remember them well. Uh, Mozart was like, whoa. The H1s, I love the yeah. 1780s. <laughs> right, cribs. <laughs> Can you imagine? Stop it. But no, back in the 1780s, Mozart was like, oh my days, this kid is pretty good. Mm. So he was like, I would like to teach you music to like a little eight-year-old Hummel. And Hummel was like, okay. And then he was like, and you will live in my house. Oh dear. And Hummel was like, Okay. (laughs) I actually really would not want to live with my music teacher. I don't know about no no, effect. They were great, but also just no. (laughs) Anyway, he so he grew up to be this amazing composer and pianist. Everyone thought he was great, but then when he died, unfortunately, he was overshadowed by the entire romantic era, which followed like pretty quickly after his death. Uh, Um, And then in the classical revival later on, he was forgotten again in favour of Mozart. Yeah, understandable. Um, But today his music is reborn. Um, So time to listen to one of my favourites now. It's his trumpet concerto. Bloody jolly piece. Isn't that just so it's just full of joy. It makes me smile. It's just It's good. I think what that really does is so the difference between classical and jazz trumpet, I think, is really obvious in pieces like that. So playing the trumpet in that way, it gives this really sort of like clear bell-like tone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that um so in jazz you get all the sort of like slightly more dirty, raspy, sure. bluesy sure. noises that a trumpet can make. Mm. But I think uh, in pieces like that and in sort of more Baroque trumpet and so Baroque and classical trumpet writing, it allows you to use like really clear, precise sounds that, yeah, that can't be done by any other instrument. Yeah. yeah. No, it's so awesome. And um, also I think that is a really difficult, it sounds like a really difficult piece to play yeah. as well. Because if you think like, that is all you're doing it, like this um so i just just massive respect for all you trumpeters out there i have to say um but yeah there are actually more pieces for trumpet than you think out there Mm. the big one in in classical music is haydn's trumpet concerto that's a big old trumpet piece big piece um but there are all do you know what there are pieces that weren't necessarily originally for the trumpet especially there's this great musician called tina ting helset and alison balsam as well actually a trumpeter does it too she'll take like a piece on the oboe and then she'll make it she'll play a trumpet version of it or like a piece that has nothing to do with the trumpet at all and she'll make it really like brassy and cool so like to have a look out for those those musicians they're both really really great and just go exploring the trumpet is pretty awesome it's everywhere as well this episode of that classical podcast is brought to you by encoder that's n-k-o-d-a it's encoder Encoder is a sheet music subscription app that we absolutely love. There are 110,000 titles available across Encoder, which means over 30 million pages of music. 
Uh, it's got absolutely everything from musicals to pop to every imaginable classical piece. You can go crazy. Encoder is for everyone, so whether you're a professional musician or a total beginner, you can share music instantly and annotate your own scores directly within the app. And, as if all that weren't enough, that classical podcast listeners can get a free three-month trial to this amazing service. Just go to www.encoder.com forward slash that classical to sign up now. That's www.nkoda.com forward slash that classical for your free three-month trial. So carrying on with my theme of lower brass instruments, next I'm going to talk to you all about the trombone, Mm -hmm. Sir Tromus of Bone. So the trombone (laughs) comes from the Italian word tromba, which means trumpet, plus the ending one, which means big, so it just means... (laughs) It just means big well, trumpet in Italian, genius. basically. Mm. Uh, so a trombone is the main instrument you'll see that uses a slide predominantly to change the notes rather than valves. Mm-hmm. So even as I just learned, the trumpet has a little slide on <laughs> yeah. it. But trombone, that's mainly the way you change the note is with the slide. Uh, although, uh, weirdly, there is a valved version of a trombone where you like push down buttons. Is there a slide as well? No, 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 it's just, just the valves. But what? then there's a version that has both a valve and a slide, right. which is the uh, wonderfully named Superbone. Um, okay. And <laughs> this while... is a family show, Chris. <laughs> Not really, but yeah. And while we're on family-friendly terminology, yeah. so the trombone's predecessor was known as a sack butt, um, <laughs> <laughs> which... Uh, Look, it comes from French words sake and bouté, which means like pull and push, like you do with the slide. Um, and so your sack butt is more or less the same as a modern trombone, but a modern one's a bit beefier and bigger than a sack butt. Okay. So the first modern symphonic usage of a trombone was by Beethoven in his Fifth Symphony. So ba 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 ba. I had one. no idea there was a trombone in there. <laughs> there Deep was a within there is a trombone. Not a superphone, <laughs> nor a sack butt. Um, yeah, no, he was the first one to use it in a sort of modern orchestral sense. So before that, it had been used by people like Mozart in his light operas and in his sacred music. And the reason that it actually appeared a lot in sacred music was the amount of control he had over the chromatic notes. So a trumpet at the time, before we had all this fancy modern valve technology, mm. was very much just like one long pipe, like a bugle. Okay. So you could play fanfares and so on, but you didn't have the um, the control that you could get with a slide where you could move Got much it. more easily between yeah. notes on a scale. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, trombones uh, around the classical era are much more often associated with sacred music. And so with that in mind... I just would never, ever put those two together. Yeah, I know. A trombone and like a church. They were for That's like the what? supernatural and angelic and I stuff. I cannot so believe that. the piece we're going to be listening to now is from Mozart's Requiem. And mm. so confusingly, it's called, the movement is called Tuba Mirum. Uh, mm. It's about a trumpet because tuba is Latin for trumpet, but it's being played by a trombone. That is confusing.
wow, I that is really surprising. I right? I feel like I haven't heard a trombone play that way like <laughs> ever. And also what strikes me is how amazing your muscle memory has to be if you're like going to the you're yeah, basically finding these positions these notes like mm. in the air do you know what i mean yeah so um a trombone has seven positions yeah. that you can put the slide into when you're moving your arm back and forth and yes yeah, just a lot of practice so the reason i particularly like that piece is because it shows off i think two main sides to a trombone mm. so the beginning there is really strident it's this forceful arpeggio in that sort of tenor range mm-hmm. and that's what you know brass is famously very good at is mm-hmm. the sort of really powerful force playing uh, but then when it works as the duet with the singer it it's really sort of beautiful legato smooth passage yeah. and that's exactly why it was used so much in religious music like this is because it's got that sort of you know angelic otherworldly quality that brass can have but yet this sort of yeah really rich full tone at the same time i just never in my life have thought <laughs> that a trombone was angelic no offense to any tromboners out there but you know i i just didn't think that but i my, Consider my mind changed. <laughs> Consider your mind tromblown. So the <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm so proud of myself. That's very good. Um, so if you're looking for more trombone pieces, uh, there's loads of really nice concertos. One of my favourites is by Rimsky Korsakov. Hmm. You know, flight of flight of the bumblebee man, mighty yeah. handful guy. Yeah, nice. Uh, he's written a really nice concerto for trombone. Otherwise, they just sort of they do crop up quite a lot. There's um, a really famous trombone solo in the first movement of Mahler's Third Symphony. Ah. That's again just another really like beautiful lyrical angelic example. trombone. Exactly. Before we carry on, we just want to say a massive thank you to all of our patrons who are supporting us on Patreon. If you want to join their number, head over to patreon.com forward slash that classical podcast. Kelly, what can they get from there? Well, depending on how much you want to give, you can get bloopers, you can get our intro theme songs, you can get a whole bonus episode, and even some merch. Very exclusive. But most importantly, if you do want to support us, you get a big thank you shout out just like this. A big thank you to Jennifer Young. Marta Glutkowska Charlotte M Christopher Enfors Ellie King Jen Charon and Jordan Lavender Smith Thank you! Thanks! Right, we're going to talk about the French horn now, also known as just the horn in orchestras, you might hear it said. Um, in which... France they just call it le horn. <sighs> out of my house but it evolved from being a hunting horn in the 17th century so exactly what you were saying earlier about horns not having any uh, valves or anything like that one of those but nowadays it's just a big round swirly intense instrument (laughs) with a big bell at one end (laughs) we should should mention we i didn't mention that earlier but that's what the end of all brass instruments are called you know how it sort of flares out into a cone shape that's for making the sound louder basically and it's called a bell a bell we're not being rude. Family no, show. No, I'm not. Yeah. Um, and also one of my favourite things about the horn is that its other name is the corno, which just makes me laugh. I'm jamming on the corno today. Anyway, so look, it's got four valves and we're all total valve experts now. You can put of that course. on your CV. And uh, you've got your tuning slides on it as well to get your notes back in tune. Um, similarly, like the trumpet as well, because it's right. a, it's actually sharp. 
like it was Ooh. made to be sharp <laughs> as Why? far as I'm concerned because of, I, I just don't know but aside from the slides changing the notes you literally shove your hand into the bell to get your notes in tune and help the sound mellow out. Oh, very good. Right, so you stick your hand in there like a sort of scooping action. Okay. And you can lower or raise the pitch of the instrument by sort of moving it, kind of moving it around in Ooh, there. So your hand is sort of a mute, but a, kind of, yeah, but a you, fleshy honestly, human you kind mute. Of, you're catching the kind of airstream almost and you're kind of changing the nice. direction of it to, to change the note. Um, but there's also still loads and loads of responsibility, uh, I think that's the word to use, on your lips as well, just like right. the, that we've been talking about all episode. <laughs> on before, Kelly. I saw it, right, sorry. I saw on the internet this line that made me laugh, I had to say it. It said, imagine baking a cake with your lips... And it's harder than that. Playing the horn is harder than to get the notes. To get the notes so precise because you have to change your lips like such this tiny in such a delicate way to change the note Uh, and going so fast. Yeah. Um, So there we go. Baking a cake with your lips. If any horn players out there have a better analogy, please tweet us. Or Uh, indeed, if you've baked a cake with your lips, lips, let us know. We want to see that. But no, by all accounts, the French horn is basically just really, really hard to play well. (laughs) So I think a round of applause for all you cornos out there. There we go. Um, and it was totally loved by composers in the Romantic period because mm. it makes this really rich and mellow tone, which we'll oh. hear in just a moment. It's mellow AF, as the kids say. So, do they say that? I don't do. know. But I'm going to play one of my favourite pieces for the horn, which really brings that kind of mellow like richness out. And it's by Ravel, okay? It's called mm-hmm. Pavane pour une enfant défunte, uh, which kind of, the sort of meaning you might take from that is like, a, a kind of lament for a dead princess. So not a defunct infant. No, uh, but but it's not that. I'll get to that in a minute. But originally, right, okay, right. <laughs> he wrote it for the piano in 1899. And then mm. in 1910, he came back and transcribed it for a small orchestra. Ooh. Right? So that's, that's why the horn is in there. Lovely. But anyway, so, right. Some people think the title means that it's a funeral piece for a princess, right? Mm-hmm. But Ravel described the piece as an evocation of a pavane that a little princess or an infanta, might, in former times, have danced at the Spanish court, right? Because it's like a memory of childhood dancing. Right. He just wanted, and he really, he was into kind of like Spanish customs and stuff. He really just wanted to kind of write a piece about it. And my favourite quote from him is, when when someone was like, well, why did you name it that? If it really has nothing to do with what people think. He said, do not be surprised. The title has nothing to do with the composition. I simply liked the sound of those words and I put them there. C'est tout. Right. I like the very sound. rage against the machine. Right. If you won't do what you tell me. But also, like, I like the sound of the words like Jiminy Billy Bong, but I wouldn't name like Sonata that. Well, are you Ravel? No. He can do what he wants. It's true. Anyway, look, time to enjoy the corno in all its glory. Here we go. I love a good bit of Ravel me. 
It's nice, isn't it? Also, I would controversially go so far as to say that actually the French horn is possibly my favourite orchestral instrument. It's so beautiful, isn't it? It's so warm. It's just such a warm, mellow sound. Again, mellow AF. Right, (laughs) mellow AF. Um, I I absolutely love that piece. And what I will say about it is that apparently um, Ravel originally played it a thousand times slower than that. (laughs) And everyone was just like, no, yeah, let's get on with it. Yeah, come like on. No, Maurice, look, I, it's nice, but like, come on. So, what you hear today, like that, is like so much faster than he would have wanted it originally. <laughs> okay, um, which which I find really hilarious. But no, there we go, the French horn, and you can find the French horn around and about. It's not like hugely common to have a. French horn concerto. Mm. Mozart wrote a couple, so you've got. Yeah. I think it's number five. It's the. Right. Oh, I love that, that one. Yeah, that's pretty famous one. That one. And yeah, I think Beethoven has a, a horn sonata. A couple of those. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just take a look around. Really well worth a listen. That classical podcast. So that was our episode on brass. Really sorry if we didn't get round to your favourite piece or your favourite instrument. We left out the euphonium. We left out cornet, what about the cornet? The oh my goodness! There's just too much brass um, to talk about. But there's so much variety in there. So do uh, do have a look yourself. Uh, and why don't you tell us what you really like to listen to, Chris? Mm. How do they contact us? Well, it's funny you should say that. You can get in touch with us through all of our wonderful social media channels. The best place to go is our website www.thatclassicalpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you'll find links to our Twitter at that classical, our Instagram at that classical insta. Uh, you can email us that classical email at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And then once you've done all of that, why not head over to iTunes and leave us a review there? And uh, if you really enjoyed listening to the music in this episode and all our other episodes, you can find it on Spotify. Just type in that classical podcast and you'll see our playlist come up. I, at this point, it's about 20 hours long. It's a big old playlist. So, <laughs> uh, but do enjoy. Otherwise, we'll see. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.